1: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? You know, pretty soon I plan to do an episode about the concept of Web 3 or Web 3.0. And those terms have a lot of buzz around them. Um, There's also some competing definitions, which is fun for something that's kind of still in the process of coalescing. But that might make you wonder, you know, what the heck was Web 2.0 or even Web 1.0? And I have covered this on very old episodes of Tech Stuff. But I thought it would be good to do a Tidbits episode on the topic. So here is Tech Stuff Tidbits, Web 1 and Web 2. And uh, first of all, there really was no Web 1.0, at least not formally. And in fact, you could argue the same for Web 2.0, really. Uh, During the earliest days of the Web, there was no one there to say, this is version 1.0. Like you had version numbers for the various protocols, but the Web itself we did not designate as being Web 1. It was just, you know, the web. It was just a thing. Kind of like how during the First World War, no one called it World War 1. Because that would be cynical and pessimistic. I mean, it also would have been accurate. But at the time, the more hopeful humans out there were kind of crossing their fingers that there wouldn't be another, you know, war to end all wars. Like another global conflict similar to World War 1, sadly. There was, but, you know, at the time they weren't thinking that. So in the beginning, it was just the web, you know, just websites with web pages. The first website was launched on August 6th, 1991, and it was, in fact, a website about the World Wide Web project itself from Tim Berners-Lee, the person who invented the web effectively. Um... And it listed instructions on how to create web pages and to use hypertext to link documents, that is, pages, together. And that would allow visitors to navigate from one page to another. The term Web 2.0 wouldn't emerge until nearly a decade later, in 1999. And it was a writer named Darcy DiNucci, who coined the term in a paper titled Fragmented Future, or an article titled Fragmented Future. Uh, by the way, you can find that article online. You can read it for free, and I highly recommend you do it. It's, you know, it's a historical document at this point, but it's it's incredible to see how much Darcy was predicting that actually became a thing. Darcy's thesis... Was that the web at that stage in 1999 was about to go through a truly transformational evolution, uh, and in fact was already in the process of doing so. And let's let's cast our minds back to the early web, and you may, oh my droogies, not remember what that was like. Things changing so scory now, and people think quick to forget. Uh, but you know, back in the early early days of the web, web pages were static. Like, you would set out to build a web page. It would probably look a bit like a a page in a book. And once you were done, chances were that's just how it was going to be until either, you know, whatever machine was hosting the the file (laughs) crashed and the file was no longer available or, you know, you deleted it to put something else up or whatever. So visiting the web was a lot like flipping through the pages of a book. Or, you know, you might want to be more accurate. Say like the, the pages in a series of magazines that had all been stapled together and shuffled up and the stuff on the pages might be really interesting or it might be really informative or, or really entertaining. It could be a list of great jokes. But the fact was those pages didn't change, right? The content on that page on day one would be exactly the same on day 100 and the same on day 1000. So you would probably just go to the page once to learn something, and chances are you'd never return again. There'd be no reason to. There'd be nothing new there. And so the experience of the web had really limited interactivity. Mostly it was confined to clicking on any active links that were on a page, and then going to some other similarly static page. So it was an incredible achievement, an amazing tool, but it was still especially when you look at what the web is now, limited in abilities and scope. And Darcy's point was that the web could and would do much, much more. Now, the reason that that could even happen was actually due to the convergence of many things. And all of those things were made possible because of the foundation of the basic protocols or sets of rules, if you prefer. That's what protocols are. They are just kind of like instructions or rule sets. Anyway, there are some basic protocols that support the internet in general and the web in particular. So for those protocols, you've got the hypertext protocol or HTTP, very important for the web. Uh, This is the protocol that allows things like the linking of documents together. And you've also got a pair of protocols called TCP IP, and that governs how files move across networks and across the internet. So these protocols, coupled with the Uniform Resource Locator, or URL, uh, that was really important, too. The URL denotes a specific file's location on a network. So that way, when you are clicking a link in your browser to take you to another page, the browser can actually call up that page because the URL has the location. Otherwise, you you wouldn't know what computer was hosting that particular page and you would it w- nothing would happen you know you would just be searching for something but all of these different things made the web stuff possible and those would not change i mean they would evolve but they wouldn't uh become a totally new thing so web 2.0 would not involve overhauling the bedrock of the web itself it wasn't about scrapping what came before and building something new it was more about kind of changing the features that you would find on websites themselves. So we had these other technologies that were enhancing the web experience. Uh, There were new markup languages. There were new versions of HTML, like dynamic HTML. There were new protocols that allowed for streaming media, like streaming audio and and streaming video. Uh, There were enhancements that allowed for, again, like dynamic elements on the web pages themselves. So a page could, have something that could update over and over again, which also meant that there would be reasons for people to return to that same page over and over again, because it wouldn't be the exact same thing they had seen when they came on day one. In addition, uh, there could be elements that would let people interact, either with the websites themselves or with one another or both, and that set the stage for stuff like user-generated content and social network platforms. So this kind of interactivity could be as simple as like leaving a message on a comments page or like a review on a commerce site like Amazon. Or it could be as complicated as uploading a video to a host website and attracting people to watch that video. Uh, There was also the steady improvement in data transfer speeds. That was really important because without that, then these more rich experiences would take so much time to install and to consume that they wouldn't do any good. Like if you're told, oh, there's going to be this great web page, you're just going to have to wait 45 minutes for it to load. Chances are you're not going to invest that time for that experience. So all of these different elements were critical to making the next phase of the web a possibility. Now, on top of all this, Darcy's hype the hypothesis included some really forward thinking stuff like the fact that we would see web connectivity extend beyond desktop computers and laptops. And we would see examples like web connected televisions and car dashboards and mobile game devices. Uh, Darcy even talked about web connected phones. And this was in the era before we started seeing serious smartphones. This is 1999. Remember the iPhone doesn't come out till 2007 so essentially, Darcy was predicting a mobile and modular web complete with advocating for websites that would render in such a way as to be optimized for the end device. Darcy was saying that's going to be absolutely necessary, that it would be impractical and uh, and and self-defeating if you had a one-size-fits-all web layout, because the experience on a device like a handheld device would be totally different from that from a desktop. And now we have entire companies that are based around that idea, right? You have companies like Squarespace, where they create layouts that have uh, that, uh, that capability of sizing and uh, uh, emphasizing web pages properly, dependent upon what platform you're using to view the website. Uh, so, yeah, Darcy was foreseeing all this. In fact, Darcy even gave us a, a very early glimpse at the concept of the Internet of Things. So, again, really. Really great article. I mean, I, like I've I've made predictions in tech before. I have never been that savvy and that accurate. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty bold. Now, in hindsight, of course, we can say, yeah, that's where it went. I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, that's where it was going to go. But at the time, Darcy's predictions weren't necessarily rock solid. I mean, one big reason for that is 99 was at the height of the first hype cycle for the web. I'll explain what I mean when we come back from these messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
1: the wait is almost over get ready for the 2024 nfl season as the full schedule is announced every rivalry every rematch every rookie debut every game revealed the 2024 nfl schedule release presented by verizon coming in may Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.
0: All right, 1999. Um, Now, in the early, early years of the web, it took a while for the web to really kind of take off, partly because in the earliest days of the web, there were regulations in place that prevented the commercial use of the internet. Once those were lifted things would start to change. And by the late 90s, pretty much every company and every organization out there had become convinced that they needed to have a web presence to be competitive and effective into the next century. So new companies that leveraged the web as a fundamental part of their business also popped up, right? Not just companies saying, how can we use the web to do what we do now but better? But there were brand new companies that said, what can the web you know, what opportunities do, do the web, does the web give us to do business? Now, some of those companies really didn't even have business plans per se. They might have had a vision of what they might be able to provide thanks to the powers of the web. But when it came to an actual plan to generate revenue, a lot of these companies fell pretty short of that goal. It was really a digital gold rush and land grab all wrapped up together and people were pouring out billions of dollars into it. And as we know now, that trend at the time was unsustainable. Uh, It would turn out that a lot of those startups that first appeared in those early days were incapable of generating enough revenue to support themselves. So in some cases, companies were scaling far too quickly. And once they scaled to a certain size, their expenses were so great that they were spending more money than they were bringing in. Uh, but in a few other cases uh, and these were high profile ones and unfortunately it it really kind of cast a shadow over all the web in general you had these starry eyed web company founders who were spending ludicrous amounts of money on lavish offices and amenities and you know paying themselves this crazy salary using investments And they weren't really using the investment money to actually establish a working business. And once the money ran out, then the companies were folding. Meanwhile, you had employees who were jumping from job to job uh, because they were attracted by lavish benefits packages. I would also say lavish salaries, but in many cases, the compensation largely came in the form of stock options or actual shares of, of the company itself. And yes, that can be incredibly valuable If your company hits the big time or if some other company decides to acquire it and then you get paid out for your equity in the company, that can be huge. But if a company falters, well, then there's a good chance your stock's not going to be worth the paper it's printed on. And unfortunately, that happened a lot. So the dot-com bubble burst in the early 2000s. That was the initial burst. Uh, The spring of 2000 saw stock prices take a massive hit in the tech sector as Japan entered into an economic recession, and that kind of precipitated this global response, and there was an increased amount of attention paid to how a lot of internet companies were burning through their initial investment cash way too quickly, with no way to generate revenue. So, unless they were going to get regular injections of investment cash, they just couldn't stick around because there was there was nothing to to pay for operations. Uh, then. The following year, the terrorist attacks in the United States on September 11th, 2001, that caused another big drop in the stock market. And at that point, companies that were already kind of on the brink folded, and it was incredibly bleak. But some companies were able to weather the storm. So companies like Amazon made it through just barely. And I've talked about that story in a previous episode of Tech Stuff, Um, I believe. It might have been on business on the brink, but either way, Amazon's survival of the dot-com bubble was really more down to luck than anything else. eBay was another site that made it through the dot-com bubble. And of course, there were others. Now, flash forward to 2004. The tech industry was kind of on the road to recovery. There were people who were actually kind of eager to look ahead at this point. Like, there was a lot of damage control and triage in the the wake of the dot-com bubble burst. But by 2004, we had kind of rounded the corner on that. And that's when a media company called O'Reilly, founded by Tim O'Reilly, planned a conference with the name the Web 2.0 Conference. And this is really where the term Web 2.0 became famous. So again, Darcy had invented the phrase five years earlier, but it was this conference in 2004 where it really became a buzzword. And I would argue that Web 2.0 took on an additional meaning at this conference, and that would be that the strategies that some companies like Amazon had been using that helped or at least appeared to help get them through the dot-com bubble burst and survive were ones that related to Web 2.0. So the implication I got was that features like dynamic elements and support for user generated content, uh, the incorporation of other interactive elements and the use of web-based media were what set the survivors of the dot-com bubble burst apart from other companies that failed to attract uh, a lot of traffic and make it through. And there's definitely some truth to that. I mean, I sometimes get the feeling the message was, hey, those companies that didn't make it through the dot-com bubble were holding too tightly onto the old Web 1.0 way. But that's not necessarily true. There were companies that were part of the the many that folded that had web 2.0 features to them. So you couldn't just point to this and say, if you were web 1.0, you failed because not all web 1.0 sites went away. And if you were web 2.0, you survived because not all of those were true either. Now I also admit that this could be just my own misinterpretation of the messaging here. It just felt like that was kind of what the point was that like in order to really thrive, you need to be web 2.0. But, you know, you can get pretty cynical when you sift through a lot of marketing buzz speak. So that might just be my own, you know, me bringing baggage to it. Anyway, this is where Web 2.0 really took off as a definition. And you can definitely see how stuff like dynamic elements and incorporation of media and social interactivity and all those sort of things have become the underpinnings for much of the Web today. Uh, From social networking sites to gaming, to news, to commerce, it's pretty common to encounter some or even all of these features. So... Darcy was on point, I'm telling you. Now, when it comes to Web 3 or Web 3.0, that definition depends upon whom you're talking to. Uh, There's the Tim Berners-Lee version of Web 3.0. He's, again, the guy who invented the web. And his vision of Web 3.0 is a machine-readable web, or the so-called semantic web. With the semantic web, each person's experience will be customized, uh, you know, tailored, if you will, to their own behaviors and needs. And we actually see elements of this already taking form in things like recommendation engines, where on shopping sites, media sites or social networking sites start giving you recommended things to look at. Uh, However, extend that sort of thing to your total experience on the web and you get closer to what Tim Berners-Lee vision was. And it would be a web that would respond instantly to your needs and provide you with the results you want, assuming it was working properly. And then there's the other definition, the more recent one, which dates to, you know, around 2014 or so. And to be fair, most people don't actually refer to it as Web 3.0. They call it just Web 3 with no space between the B and web and the numeral 3.0. This version isn't about the semantic web. It's more about relying on blockchain technology to underlie a future version of the web so that the web would actually be built on top of blockchain. Uh, this is the future that crypto enthusiasts and NFT fans really get excited about, and one in which there would be like a token based economy and a decentralized approach to the web, at least in theory. But as I said, I'll have to do a full episode about what Web 3 really means and what it might really look like in the future and question about is it truly decentralized or not. Uh, Spoiler alert, I am a skeptic. But for now, that's a quick refresher on what Web 1.0, which really wasn't defined until that era was coming to an end, and Web 2.0 actually are. And again, in the future, I'll tackle Web 3. Now, if you have suggestions for topics I should tackle on Tech Stuff, let me know on Twitter. The handle for the show is Tech Stuff HSW. I look forward to hearing from you and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. This is Amy Brown from 4 Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen.